Well, that hymn is is quite a good summary, really, of what I want to bring to you tonight. Um, in Psalm 22, we have the account of the the sufferings and the resurrection and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends, as we'll be seeing in the section, with the message uh, going out to all the world. And this hymn that we've just sung really speaks about these things, doesn't it? About Christ risen from the dead. Uh, the angels have gone back to heaven and they're proclaiming that, uh, that Jesus has risen. And then verse four, you mortals catch the sound redeemed by him from hell and send the echo round the globe on which you dwell. Transported cry, Jesus who bled hath left the dead no more to die. So that's the call really to the people of Christ in the world. There is a gospel concerning this crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, which is a gospel that in God's plan and purposes is to go out to all the world. Now, um, we've been talking a little bit today about building projects. David and Esther are having some, some building work done in their homes, in their home. But um, I don't think from what I understand of it that they've had to dig new foundations, have they? No, it's all been based on the structure that's, that's already there. But if you've ever had an extension built or, or even a, a new house being built, and obviously there's building work goes on around Kreitch, um, if you see what happens, they, they have to dig down first of all, don't they? They've got to get to the, to the rock. They pour the concrete so you've got your base. And it's upon that that you build the house. You don't want to be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the house on the sand fell flat didn't it because it didn't have the foundations there was no groundwork had been dug and when we think about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ being spread across the world as this hymn speaks about and as the psalm speaks about there's there's a foundation that is laid first there's groundwork because we don't just have a message to take to the world about the teachings of a religious leader. There are religions out there who've got their philosophies. And they teach people, well, follow this path to enlightenment or whatever it might be, and, and you'll receive a better life and perhaps one day something after this life as well. But that's not the gospel, is it? That's not the, the Christian way of making the kingdom of Christ known and seeing it extended in the world. And we're not just telling a philosophy. We are proclaiming a message of what Christ has done. He came into the world and his work in the world was the foundations. This psalm, Psalm 22, is telling the story of what Christ would do. It's prophetic. It's speaking a thousand years before Christ came into the world as a human being. But it speaks of the foundations that he lays for our salvation. His sufferings, his crucifixion, pierced hands and feet, his, his mouth dried up. Surrounded by those people mocking and scorning him that we read about in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. And laying down his life there on the cross for our sins. And then it's here in the psalm as well. 
his, his resurrection. He, he comes from the dead. He's laid in the, the dust of the dead, but then he's speaking again after that. He's, he's alive again. All of this is the foundation that Christ laid, purchasing our salvation, completing the work of redemption so that we as his people have a message to proclaim, not a philosophy, but to proclaim the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for sins and risen again. And so we see in this psalm, as it speaks in the, in the early sort of two-thirds or three-quarters, whatever it is, of Christ's sufferings and his death, that's the foundation being laid. But we come into the latter parts of the psalm, and we see that now it's, it's looking forwards. It's full of the future tense in these closing verses here um, from verse 25. If I counted it correctly, 11 times it says either will or shall. It's talking about what is going to happen. It's future, isn't it? Looking ahead on the basis of what Christ has done. These things are now going to happen. And what things are they? Well, praise and worship being given to the Lord. And the message going out and others being gathered in from all the nations of the world and the generations to come. So it's a joyful conclusion to the psalm. The psalm full of Christ's sufferings comes to this joyful conclusion where there's rich blessing that flows out from that. As Christ's salvation extends out far and wide across this world. That's what we're going to see this evening as we look at uh, this closing section from verse 25 to the end of the psalm. We'll see firstly the blessings of Christ's reign spread wide and then we'll see the blessings of Christ's righteousness reach far. So come with me to the psalm beginning at verse 25 and we'll see that the blessings of Christ's reign spread wide. Now if you're familiar with um, Old Testament uh, Jewish religion, you'll know that it was often expressed in very exclusive terms. Israel were God's chosen people. They were the ones who received the promises and the blessings. And by and large, during that Old Testament era, the rest of the world was shut out to just go on in their sin and their idolatry. But here in Psalm 22, we see one of very many glimpses in the Old Testament of a, of a much wider intention in God's purposes. So look with me at verses 25 to 27. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Well, David begins in verse 25 using language that, that could well just suggest the, the people of Israel gathering together to worship God. The great assembly there, those who fear him, is very similar to what he said back in verses 22 and 23. He's talking there in a sense of the Old Testament church, the, the people of Israel. Now, by the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and ministry, of course, uh, the Jews had in many ways become quite sort of jingoistic, hadn't they? And they, they, they looked down on the Gentiles, they called them dogs and 
despised them. But here in these verses, we see that the outsiders and the the downtrodden and the despised are being gathered in to receive God's blessings. Verse 26 here is um, picturing one of the Old Testament thank offerings being made. It's someone paying a vow to the Lord, uh, kind of thing you can read about back in in Leviticus uh, chapter 7 as it describes those thank offerings. And we see here in the psalm that that God has been merciful to David. God has, has brought David through the troubles that he's described in his own terms in the earlier sections there. And so David brings his his thank offering to the Lord. And the poor are invited to share in eating this celebration meal because the blessings that David has known from the Lord, he wants others to celebrate with him and, and enter into as well. But of course, this is this is messianic, isn't it? It's pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm that's documented the sufferings of Christ as he came to the cross. There, verse 15, he's laid in the dust of death. And yet now he's delivered from death. He's raised. He's he's gathering in his redeemed people and his mouth is filled with praise to God because of the fact that out of his sufferings has come such good, such rich blessings overflowing to others, life and salvation. And now the poor and the needy and the outsiders and the downtrodden and the destitute are being invited to come and share in the blessings of his reign. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Well, you know how the New Testament um, often speaks about poverty of spirit. Well, the Lord Jesus talks of it, doesn't he, in the in the Sermon on the Mount? And the poor, physically literal poor mentioned here, it's, it applies spiritually to us as well, doesn't it? It's, it's what we are. The Lord Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount, in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who know that they can't demand anything by right. We don't come to God and say, you owe me X, Y, and Z. Far from it. We're aware of our spiritual destitution. And we need to come to him Humbly, simply looking for mercy from him. So Jesus goes on in the the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's this real sense that he's bringing out there of being aware of our needs, aware that we have nothing to offer to God, but praise him for laying our sins upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we humbly come seeking Christ himself, who is our righteousness, then we find he fills us. That hunger and thirst we have is satisfied. In one of our earlier hymns, uh, we, we sang about it, didn't we? We taste of you the living bread and long to feast upon you still. 
We drink of you the fountainhead and thirst our souls from you to fill. This is the, the desire we have. We are in, our, in, our, in ourselves spiritually poverty-stricken and destitute and in need. So we come to Christ and out of his bounty, we enjoy his blessings. We enjoy him. Of course, there's that great um, Old Testament uh, gospel invitation that's, that's presented in very similar terms, isn't it? Isaiah 55. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And uh, we're called to let our souls delight themselves in his abundance. It's where we find true riches, true abundance, true filling. It's in Christ, isn't it? And here's this picture of, of the poor and the, the needy in the psalm coming and, and being fed out of the abundance that Christ has for us. And the blessings of Christ's reign, they spread throughout the earth. That's what is being brought out here in verse 27. So plainly, it's not just, uh, not just little Israel, but all the ends of the world, all the families of the nations mentioned there. They are entering into the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here we are in Kreitsch this evening in the UK. It's, it's one of the, the nations, isn't it? A long way from Israel, but the blessings of Christ have spread up to us here and, and to many other parts of the world as well. As the, the nations turn to the Lord, the ends of the world come to him. All those false gods, I mean, you read of the nations in the Bible and often the idolatry of the nations is in view. Those false gods, those sins are being put away. They must be put away in order for the families of the nations to come and worship before the Lord. The Lord himself is going to be sought and found by the nations, by the ends of the world. That's what's being foretold here in this psalm. And of course, this is in keeping with what had been said way back in the Lord's words to Abraham in, in Genesis 12. In you, all of the, the families of the earth will be blessed. And now there's so much more detail in the psalm. And, and then the fulfillment came when Christ came into the world. Speaking in the same kind of terms as Psalm 2 where the Lord Jesus Christ is depicted uh, asking of the Father and, and he'll be given the nations for his inheritance. That's God's purpose, isn't it? And so this glorious prospect is set before us here of blessings spreading wide across the world so that the nations leave their sin and come to Christ. And of course, that that stirs up Christ's praise. There he is in verse 25, praising his, his father in heaven, praising God in heaven because of these blessings that are coming. And the reason is 
summed up there in verse 28, isn't it? For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Here is God in his majesty, in his sovereignty, in his rightful kingship over all the nations of the world. And God in heaven, the glorious father who rules over all things. What has he done? Well, as Jesus said in Matthew 28, he's got all authority in heaven and earth and he's given it to his son. And now Christ has commissioned us as his people. This one who's received all authority and kingship and honour and majesty, he says to us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So that the prophecy of this psalm, of the gospel reaching out and the nations coming in, will be fulfilled. Such a stimulus to be involved in evangelism and and reaching out to your town and in other ways to the country and being involved in supporting mission elsewhere as well, isn't it? To know that this is God's plan. That it's his desire that these things will take place, that the gospel will go to the nations. And that because Christ has laid the foundation in his life and his death and his resurrection, God's purposes of bringing the nations to Christ cannot fail. Let that encourage you next time you are praying for missionaries or talking to your neighbour over the garden fence about the gospel, that Christ has laid the foundation and it's God's purpose for the gospel to reach the nations. So here in Psalm 22 is the the cross of Christ. It gives way to his crown and the lamb who was slain is now the king of kings and the Lord of lords and his reign is to spread worldwide. What a glorious prospect he sets before us in that. Well, let's just move on and, and finish with uh, this, this second thought. The blessings of Christ's righteousness will reach far. And what I'm thinking of here is we've we thought about extent geographically around the world, but now we're thinking about reaching far through through time, through the generations. And really, this comes out in its uh, in its fullness um, in verses 30 and 31. I'll just read um, from verse um, 29, first of all. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity will serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. It's interesting, isn't it, that after mentioning the poor earlier on, he now mentions the prosperous. Um, In a sense, he's saying all kinds of people are going to be the beneficiaries of the work of Christ. They're going to be there humbly kneeling before the Lord The victory of Christ, of course, draws all kinds of people to himself. We know that um, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, but praise God, some rich do. 
enter the kingdom of God. He does work in the lives of all kinds of people. But whether we're rich or poor, that little phrase here certainly applies to everyone, doesn't it? Verse 29, about halfway through, all those who go down to the dust. That's, uh, that's the prospect for everyone, isn't it? Because this life is short and it will come to an end. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All who go down to the dust will one day see him. Let it be that you see him as your Lord and saviour and not as your judge and the one who condemns you. The blessings of Christ's salvation reach far across society, but this is the main point really from these closing verses. Across time as well, because as I say, this psalm was written about a thousand years before Christ uh, came into the world. And we're now 2000 years on from that. And the years have rolled by and into the blessed and happy presence of the Lord Jesus Christ have gone over those years. Countless men and women, boys and girls saved by grace. David, who wrote the psalm, his time came when he was laid in the dust of death and his soul went to be with his God. Isaiah, Daniel, Ezra, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, John the Baptist, the apostles, all of these other early Christians. And then you go on through church history and you can name them all. They've lived. They've come to Christ. They've served Christ in their generation and they've been laid in the dust of death. But has the kingdom of Christ ever been wiped out in this world? There may have been times when it was at quite a low ebb. And then God did a, an amazing reviving work again. But he's always had his people, hasn't he? There's always been posterity to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a tremendous encouragement to us, isn't it? It will be recounted of the Lord, it says there in verse 30, a posterity shall serve him. The things of God will be passed on from generation to generation. Christ and his righteousness will continue to be proclaimed. As I've reflected in prayer a couple of times today already, our country's in a pretty dire spiritual condition. But the church of Jesus Christ hasn't been extinguished in the UK. And even in a country like North Korea, the church of Jesus Christ, though it can't meet openly like we do, the, the Lord has his people. So it is around the world. The Lord continues to draw men, women, boys and girls into the kingdom. And, and that, I hope, will be a, an encouragement to you in these slow and hard days that the Lord will have his posterity. He will have offspring new converts to serve him in every generation. We need to go on faithfully and clearly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ to old and young. And the Lord will make it prosper. He will convert people, even young people. And they will turn uh, to him 
and grow in grace. And they themselves will grow up and they will begin to serve the Lord in different ways. Some of them will become preachers who will proclaim the gospel of Christ to another generation. It's one of the things I've really loved over these last couple of years since I've been working with Grace Baptist Mission is is actually seeing a lot of young people who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to serve him. And I mentioned this morning the the youth camp that uh, that we run in the summer. Last year, it was my first time down at the, the camp, and it was tremendous encouragement to see 75, 80 or so young people there listening to the word of God, praying together, singing God's praises, and enthusiastic about being a Christian in 21st century Britain. It's hard, of course, but they want to know more of Christ and to love him, and to serve him. It's encouraging. And then just a couple of weeks ago, um, the, some of the, the, the churches in the southeast uh, had a, a youth conference. And again, good group of young people that I wasn't there, but I've heard about it from others that were wanting to study the scriptures and learn more about living for Christ in this generation. God has his people. He has young people in our country to serve him. It's encouraging, isn't it? And as long as it is that the Lord tarries before he returns, there'll be new generations to be born. And out of those, he'll have his people and he'll call them to Christ. They'll be converted and they'll grow up and they'll preach the gospel to their generation. And then they'll raise their children. And by God's grace, another generation will rise up to praise him. And that's what he's speaking of here. This is the good fruit that is coming out of the work of Christ. The blessings of his righteousness that he he has uh, in his life and dispensing to us. Uh, it reaches far all through the years and the generations, even down to today and even beyond as long as the Lord tarries. And what's the reason? Well, it's there in verse 31, right at the end. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, generations still to come, that he has done it. It's the reason, isn't it? He has done it. Christ has finished his work and he's risen and exalted and reigning. He's done it all. And he'll continue his work of redeeming men and women and young people until he returns in glory. Though this psalm opens with that cry of despair and abandonment at the cross, it closes, you see, with new life, with spreading blessings and with glorious hope for the future. And don't we need hope, solid biblical hope, not pie in the sky. But we need to be reminded that Christ has completed his work. And the blessings that he has purchased by his redeeming death, these blessings will spread. It's, it's certain because this is the promise and purpose of God. Remember, like I mentioned near the start, the future tense here, 
will, 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 shall, shall, shall. God doesn't have ifs, buts and maybes. He's made his plan. He has his purpose. Christ has come. He's completed his work. And God's work will go on. These are the great facts of of God's work in history. And nothing can overturn what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever crises may come in your life or in your church or in this nation, whatever might happen in the future, we don't know. Remember this, nothing can undo the work of Christ. Nothing can draw the power from the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that can happen in your life or in this world can put Christ back in the tomb and take away the victory that he has won. Nothing can present, uh, prevent or upset his glorious reign. And it's not because of us. It's not because we're anything special, that we are different and unique and particularly bold and faithful or anything like that. No, no. I hope you've realised that I haven't been saying our hope is in, in us and what we do. No, it's in what Christ has done. It's in the promises and purposes of God and that he has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. And what he has done cannot be undone. I, the Lord, have done it, he says. I've finished my work and I'll complete all that I've planned. And so David, as he reminds us here in the psalm, verse 27, um, speaking of the ends of the world, they shall remember and turn to the Lord. Let's, uh, let's take that, as it were, for ourselves. Remember, remember what Christ has done. Remember who he is. Remember his glorious victory. Turn to the Lord and trust in him and keep pressing on serving him in the ways that he's given you opportunity. And by his grace, we'll see new generations rising up to praise the Lord and to take the gospel to Christ, to the UK, to the end of the earth. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is finished. Uh, he has he has sealed uh, the great works of redemption and nothing can take that away. And whatever people may say and do and however uh, hard uh, and, and difficult life may be at times, Christ has died and risen again. He's seated on the throne. One day he's returning. And until that great day, He's given to us the task of making him known, of proclaiming his, his righteousness, his work, his salvation, and of calling the nations to come to the only saviour. Please, we pray, help us to be bold and faithful and hope-filled as we serve Christ in this generation. And Father, please, through us, even us, uh, raise up new generations to serve Christ in their day and to carry on this great work that you have committed to your church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.